testing, testing, one, two. Do I sound all right? Great, because this episode of Young Smart Money is sponsored by Toner Microphones, the perfect solution for content creators looking for a well-designed mic without breaking the bank. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today, we are sitting down with Jeremy Parker, the co-founder and CEO of Swag.com. Now, Swag.com is a company that's focused on making promotional products and swag that you get from a company at an event or, or at a new job uh, into high quality items. Because the connotation that I always have when you go to an event, you get some free pens, you get some free USB drives, is that they're, they're not very high quality, to be honest. But uh, Jeremy's whole mission with swag.com is to kind of turn that whole misconception on its head and really provide some high quality stuff. So when we're talking high quality, they're using brands like Moleskin, Yeti, North Face, Patagonia. So like your brands that like millennials are really into these days, they're taking those uh, quality products and then they're turning them into branded products for, for big companies. So think companies like Google, they work with Amazon, they work with Starbucks, Facebook, um, all of these clients. And, and actually their first client was Facebook. So that's something we're gonna dive into in the interview here is how they lock down Facebook as their very first client, in addition to uh, securing the swag.com domain name before they really even had a business to speak of. So Jeremy's got a lot of really interesting stories here on how they built this thing from the ground up. So I'm really excited to share those with you throughout this podcast. The last thing he's going to talk about is figuring out how to actually get started. Okay, so uh, he's going to talk about where this idea came from, but then also how do you take this idea? Like, how do you take the, the whole big idea of like, we're going to revolutionize this entire industry um, with these huge, huge players that are already there. How do you how do you go into this industry and just completely turn the whole thing on its head? So that's what Jeremy's going to be talking about today. So if you're if you're thinking about starting a new project, you're not exactly sure how to break out in the field that you are looking to get into. This is going to be the perfect episode for you. And I am very excited that you are here. So without further ado, let's uh, welcome Jeremy on to the podcast. Sit tight, relax and enjoy the episode. All right. Well, Jeremy, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. So uh, Jeremy, for our listeners that aren't familiar with swag.com and uh, what you're currently working on right now, can you give us a quick synopsis of kind of what you're up to? Sure. So swag.com is the best place for companies to buy quality promotional products that people actually want to so the industry is insanely massive. It's in a nearly a $40 billion market. And what we noticed about five years ago was the industry was shifting from a more of a 40 to 50 year old office manager who's buying on behalf of their companies to more of a millennial buyer. And millennials want things very differently um, you know, than the older generation. They want things to be super automated, streamlined. They don't wanna buy products that are end up in the trash. So we really try to curate the best of what's out there, really make it really easy for customers to find what they're looking looking for easily design it and buy it in a matter of seconds. And since we launched in 2016, we've grown you know, tremendously fast. We have over 5,000 companies that buy from us, um, ranging from Facebook, Google, um, Netflix, Spotify, TikTok, um, Uber, really the biggest companies in the world to small startups. So we're really trying to help out everyone in between. You don't need to be a massive company to buy from us. You could have you know, two employees, three employees. We have really low minimums, but we just want to make sure the quality is really there. It's all about quality on our site. And more, most recently, over the last kind of two years, we've transitioned into a much bigger platform. So companies are now 
instead of just buying swag for their office, they can now buy swag, will hold an inventory, and they could distribute it to remote addresses, which went from a really nice to have five months ago to a need to have with this whole pandemic, where people are buying in bulk, uploading a CSV file, we're calculating the shipping costs in real time, they pay for it, and we're shipping swag all over the world. Wow, there, there's a lot in there that I want to unpack, and you guys have really um, from what I know of the promotional products industry really changed a lot of the kind of industry held norms. So I really want to dive into a lot of that stuff. First thing though, I know you mentioned a lot of these big name clients that you guys have locked down. Uh, to my understanding, your first client was Facebook. Is that correct? Yep. That's exactly correct. When we started the business, most people, when you're starting a business, you want to work your way up to the top, right? Yeah, you that's conventional wisdom. <laughs> but our feeling was we had this amazing brand name we wanted to really kind of build our brand. And in general, if we had that row of blue chip logos from the beginning, a lot of companies who see Facebook or Google will now instantly trust us. So from the get-go, our first customer that we went after was Facebook. And once we got Facebook, and it didn't have to be a big order, it was a small order. Now they're buying a lot more stuff with us. But initially, it was just a small order. The next day, we went over to WeWork. And when WeWork asked us, who else we're working with? We said Facebook. And no, we're not lying. We said Facebook. And I'm assuming they assumed we had all these other companies, but really it was just Facebook. And we continued that process until we had about five really big name companies. Um, and this is even before we had a platform. We just at this point had a website and a landing page. So we were closing a lot of big customers you know, from very early on. And really what our strategy was from the very beginning was let's learn all that we need to know about what the right platform to build is. Mm. We never want to spend time development costs building a platform just to launch it and no one wanted to use it. So from the very beginning, it was very important for us to build the right thing. So we learned a lot. We asked a lot of questions. We treated a lot of our early customers as kind of like a focus group. And we built for them what we knew they wanted. So every feature that we launch now, we know exactly that's going to work because we had about 15 to 20 to 30 customers already asked for it and need it. So now it's just kind of building what everybody is really looking for. Wow. So how did you know what to build kind of going into that conversation with Facebook? You, you didn't have any clients at that point. So how, what did the market research look like? And how did you figure out what you actually should be building and what you actually should be pitching them? Right. So the very beginning, we didn't know, frankly. And I think that's with most startups, you know, you just have to kind of dive in. You don't really know what the right answer is. You have to learn. So from the very beginning with Facebook, all I knew is people do are price sensitive. Some people are not everybody, but we, we felt with Facebook, we just need to give a really great experience in terms of the product. Cause we didn't have a platform. We had no website at this point. So when I went to Facebook, I said to them, anybody want to buy t-shirts? And when they said they wanted to buy t-shirts from us, we just need to say to them, we're going to give you the best deal possible. We're going to really, it didn't matter for us to make money on those early orders. It really didn't matter at all. Like even if we lost money on those early orders to have the Facebook kind of that brand associated with swag.com was worth it. So in the very beginning, we just learned that we just treated that all those early customers as kind of a loss leaders. Let's get in the door. Let's show that we're really easy to work with, that people like us, that we give great products. Let's ask them tons of questions of how they would want the experience to be better. And then let's really focus on the technology and try to automate the experience. You know, our goal ultimately is to be doing billions of dollars of sales. That's our goal. And to do that, the only you either go one way where you hire a ton of people or you build an automated experience. So we're trying to automate the experience. So our site, we did about 7 million in sales last year, and we did it with a team of 15 people. So just think about that. A lot of our other competitors in the space have tons of employees and they're doing far less revenue than us, and we're able to scale really quickly. So with the same team that we had last year, we could be doing over 14 million this year because of the platform that we set up. Wow. So uh, coming back to this Facebook example and, and kind of uh, how that deal sort of came together, uh, from what I understand, you kind of just showed up at Facebook, no appointment, no nothing, 
Um, and you, you somehow managed to get into um, a decision maker's office. So can you kind of walk the listeners through that process? Like, how do you just go from showing up at Facebook to actually getting into the office of someone who can give you money? Right. So we, I had a friend at Facebook who knew somebody at Facebook who knew, I mean, it was like, <laughs> we just need to get in the door somehow. So I knew a friend who got me into the door. And then once we were in, I was talking to their friends. Hey, do you know who buys swag? And this person said, I don't know who buys swag, but maybe it's this other person. And then we spoke to the other person. Oh, I'm not looking for swag. So we literally, we walked around the office meeting all these different people who bought, who bought swag for different departments. It wasn't like one central, this is the swag buyer for Facebook. It was really, we had about 15, 20 conversations in that first day. We ultimately landed on somebody who actually needed t-shirts for a specific event. Um, I think the order was a little bit over $3,000. We made very, very little margin. To me, as I said before, it, doesn't really, it didn't really matter in the early days. It was mostly just to form those relationships because in the beginning, it's all about relationships. You got to put yourself out there, get that meeting, try to close the sale. Don't worry so much about the margin, how much money you're going to be making. It doesn't really matter. The whole goal of an early business is just to learn. Learn as much as possible so that you're ultimately able to build the right platform. Now Facebook is going on our site all the time and they're buying stuff without speaking to anyone. We're not having to go, you know, manually going and showing up at office like we did the first year. I haven't made a in-person sales pitch in four years at this point. We're having tons of customers coming inbound. We have zero salespeople on our team. There's not one salesperson on our team. All of our sales are completely inbound. So what we realized is we need to build the best platform. How to do that? The best way is just to learn from your customers. I don't really know the best platform to build, but my customers know because they're the ones who are having the pain points. So they're telling me and they're working with me to make the experience better. Wow. So is that mostly just word of mouth then? I mean, how are those, those inbound people getting to you? Yeah, originally it was word of mouth. Um, then it became partnerships. We ended up having a partnership with WeWork. And what's really great about partnerships that we have is that all of our t-shirts have the swag.com logo on the inside. So imagine, think of this. When you go to... Uh, you go to buy jeans, right? You're buying jeans at a, at a mall. You're going to wear those jeans until they die, right? You're going to keep wearing them, wearing them, wearing them. The point of swag is to be bought and given away. So when somebody buys a thousand t-shirts from us, literally they're going to be giving away those t-shirts within the next month. Every single t-shirt that's given out is now going to say swag.com on the inside label. So everyone who gets that t-shirt is now going to see, oh, wow, they work with WeWork. So you get the instant social proof. Who made this shirt? It's really soft. It's really high quality. Swag.com. All those people getting it became our new customers. So it really allowed us to organically grow. Now it's you know, becoming more of organic traffic and we have a really great blog. We're doing amazing SEO. We went from about 3,000 organic visitors last year in January to over 25,000 organic visitors this January. So just the, net, the nature of our site is getting faster, bigger, better. And all of our customers are frankly doing the promotion for us. Wow. Even if they don't realize it at this point, just because of them buying and then distributing it. 100%. So I want to kind of dive back to, to the beginning, um, kind of like year one. Uh, I think at that point, you guys were doing somewhere around $300,000 in exactly. revenue. Um, but were, were there any struggles at this point? I mean, like, it seems like a lot of what you guys were pitching on was quality. So were there ever any issues with the quality of the products with these first couple sales, especially? I mean, like, if you guys hadn't made any any client sales before, did you guys run into any, any issues on that side? Yeah, tons, tons. I mean, it's... I remember there was one story we did a, uh, okay, this is about maybe the second month of our business. So we had no website at this point, just paint the picture. We had Facebook and WeWork, and I think we had Bravo TV. We had three logos. Um, someone reached out to us from the New York state, like a, literally a government contract. And they said to us, they, they stumbled across us on the website and they said, we need, I think it was about 5,000 t-shirts or maybe even a little bit more t-shirts all made in the USA. And we needed to be done in four days. 
Now, we've never done a volume of t-shirts like that ever. We didn't know where to begin of getting that kind of quality in the volume in four days and let alone printing it. So we did, you know, kind of, you ever see the movie uh, War Dogs? I don't know if no. you remember. Okay, so this movie War Dogs where two guys just doing all these kind of crazy things and getting it done. We had to buy t-shirts, five, 6,000 t-shirts from California. We had, to, we had to get on a charter plane. We had to get a charter plane to fly it over into New York. We had to rent out a screen printer for three days to print all these shirts. Then we had to rent a U-Haul, me and my co-founder, and drive it five hours to the campgrounds to deliver the shirts. You go insanely above and beyond, and most of the stuff came out great. Um, but you know, like it's you have issues, and, and this is with everything. A lot of times we try new vendors and suppliers, and they don't work out, and then we have to refund the customer because we are all about quality, especially in the early days. The first year, it was a lot of trial and error. We did an order. If it didn't work out, we would always give a hundred percent refund to the customer and redo it for them to make sure they're happy. Now at this point, we are so automated and we have such a curated product selection that we know all of our products on our site are really the best of quality. So we're only going to be offering products that we would be proud to show off. So that's where it's gotten to be. But along the journey, you have to kind of break some eggs. You got to learn what's good and what's not good. Absolutely. So, I mean, what does that vetting process look like at this point? Are you like, yeah, how do you, how do you vet the, the different suppliers? Yeah. So early on, we would just be buying samples. Part of the biggest, inf- the, the amount of money that we used in the beginning was about $50,000 for me and my co-founder. We both invested money and the majority of it went to buying samples. So from early on, we were just buying tons and tons of samples from different suppliers and testing the quality, like literally getting hundreds of pens and saying only three or four of them are good. And then you learn, even if they're good, if they look good and they write well, maybe the printer is not amazing at printing or it doesn't always get it right. So you constantly learn and improve. At this point, we have a whole product team. We're going to different you know, vendors. They're constantly coming to us and showing us the best of what they've done. And we only work with a handful of suppliers. At this point, we're only working with about 20 different suppliers. So we have one supplier that does all of our notebooks, one supplier that does all of our water bottles. And we're super confident in those suppliers, which is great for us because it allows us to have quality control. And also it allows us to get better pricing because we're sending all of our water bottles to that one vendor, they're going to be lowering the costs. So to us, they always tell us we're the fastest growing promotional product company because we're sending them so much business, millions of dollars of business where they're constantly bringing the cost down. So for us, we're just going to make more money from doing that. That's, that's the way to go. So when it comes to, I mean, the, the brand name itself is, is very distinctive. I mean, like people hear swag.com and, and, and they pay attention. So when did that come into the picture? Was that like day one? You, you, you knew this is what you were going to do. When did the domain come into play? Like, walk us through that. Yeah, so my background is a little interesting. Right out of college, I started a promotional product division under a bigger company called MV Sport. MV Sport is a huge company in the promotional product space. That was one of my first jobs out of college. I ran a division when I was 22 years old. I was doing collegiate licensing apparel. I don't know if you, you know of Threadless, but basically there was a, used to be a big company called Threadless where people, designers would you know, create awesome designs and then the community would vote on the winning design. The winning design would sell on the site. And my idea was, what if we could take that kind of concept of you know, creatives and designing of logos for collegiate apparel? So like re- redesign the University of Maryland t-shirt. Boston University t-shirt, Purdue University. And I pitched that idea when I was 22 to the CEO of MV Sport and he loved it. And we ran with that for three years. So I really learned the ins and the outs of promotional products from very early on. Fast forward 10 years, I've always had kind of a pulse on the promotional product industry. And I realized that the industry was getting bigger and bigger, but the one main difference was the buyer was shifting. It was no longer this older buyer, it was more of a millennial buyer. And there needed to be a platform for that. And all of my millennial friends and everyone I was talking to was calling promotional products swag. 
So I think figured out from the very early days, we need to build a really strong brand for this industry. And think of this, when Facebook comes to a site, they're worried about their own logo, right? They're worried about their own brand. They're only going to want to work with companies that really take in consideration their own brand. You know, a lot of promotional product companies, I don't want to you know, talk down about anybody, but if you go to them, they're built 20 plus years ago. They're not really focused on their internal brand, on their internal experience. And we felt like from day one, that was a big part about who we're selling to. So even before we started, we worked out a deal with the owner of the domain name and we worked out of a creative way because obviously we didn't have the money to buy swag.com. It was a very expensive domain name. So we worked out a deal with the owner that we would exclusively license the domain name for a two-year period with the option to buy it. So from day one, before we had any money in the bank, before we raised any capital, before we had, even knew if it was a real business, we were able to use the swag.com domain name. And worst comes to worst, the name would go back to the owner. And best case scenario, which would happen six months later, we were able to raise the money and we acquired the domain name from the owner so that we owned the domain name. Wow. So was that the main reason why you guys decided to raise capital or what was, um, what was the decision? That was, there? Yeah, that was the original reason. I mean, in the very beginning, we were making orders and we were making profit. So we didn't really have that much overhead. Once we started to really learn um, what we need to build, we realized that building a technology platform is expensive. You know, it takes time. It's expensive. And also it was, so it was partially to raise a little bit of money for that. And the majority of it was just to acquire the domain names that we owned it fully. Um, and then we've raised some rounds over the last four years, but really only when we need it. You know, we've never taken a huge $5 million plus round, even though companies have reached out to us to invest that kind of money. It's always been for us. We want to grow in the right way. We want to grow organically. We want to make sure we're not growing too fast. We don't want to just spend money to acquire customers. We want to make sure that customers we acquire are going to be happy and they're going to keep ordering on our site. So that's what we're really working towards, of having a really automated, um, you know, streamlined platform for swag buying. So how much have you guys raised so far in terms of just rough estimate? Yeah, we just closed around during this pandemic about a month and a half ago, about 1.25 million. So all in, it's been a little bit over, I would say 3 million, between 3 and $4 million all in. Okay. Yeah. So, so a, a sizable amount, but nothing, nothing crazy. No, nothing crazy. We've just been able, we only raised when we figured like, this is what we need to raise for. We're going to raise a specific dollar amount, not just to raise, to raise or to, look cool or any, it was really, we have a, 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 you know, a strategy. We need to get to this benchmark by this period of time. We need to raise a certain amount of money just to get there. So that's kind of where we're going with it. And even this pandemic, which is, I mean, it's crazy what's going on. You would think that the promotional product industry is getting crushed because, and it is, you know, they just came out with a, um, a document that basically over, over 90% of companies in our space are down over 45% last quarter, which is, Crazy. It's it's horrible. Yeah. It's not it's not great. And it makes sense when you think of it on paper because swag is for onboarding of new hires. No one's hiring anybody. It's for trade shows. There's no trade shows going on. And also it's for office culture, people buying for their office and no one's in the office right now. It's a very weird time where all the different things where swag is really coming to handy is really kind of shut down. We are one of the eight percent, luckily, that we're doing better this quarter than we did last year at the same time. And the reason for that is our swag distribution platform. Right now, when no one's in the office, there really needs to be a platform where you can easily buy swag with the click of a button, hold an inventory, and now upload a CSV file and distribute it to remote addresses in a matter of seconds. Or if you didn't have the recipient's addresses, being able to create a really awesome recipient landing page, I could send you a link and you could click on the link and you could input your information, your address, and select on your t-shirt size that all speak to our system, capture your information and distribute it. So our distribution platform went before this pandemic, about 5% of users using it. Now it's over 80% of all the users are using this platform literally in a month period, like a month shift. 
it went from like a nice to have to a need to have. So we're very lucky that we have that. Um, and we're hoping obviously with the rest of the world that the world gets back to normal and things start opening up more for everybody. Wow. So that's, that's definitely been a, a pretty sizable thing to have during this pandemic is, is, is that whole system that people can just kind of shift over to. How do you guys prioritize with the multitude of, of different projects you could be building and working on? How, how do you figure out like which of them are actually worth time to pursue and worth the resources to pursue? That's, like, that's a great question. How, t- how we typically do it, and there's no kind of 100% answer, because sure. a lot of times you're going to be building things and people might not use it. We've been very fortunate that we're building things that we know that customers want. And what we do is first, before we have an idea, we launch a landing page for it. So about 18 months ago, we launched a landing page on our site called Swag Distribution and designed it as if the platform was already built. Now, this platform has taken me almost two years. It's constantly evolving. Just think of that. That's over half a million dollars, you would think, in technology development. But we're not going to start on something like that and build out all these different functionality without knowing, are people really wanting it? So we launched this Twitter. We put about a couple of hundred dollars for the first month just to advertising for this concept. Distribute swag, ship swag, send swag to different addresses, right? We put that ad and we saw how many people would click on it. Then when they click on it and they, were, and they schedule a demo with me, I would walk them through the concept and I would show them wireframes. So we spent time designing it, but a design is a lot cheaper than building out the whole functionality. So I would show it to them what page by page, this is what we're envisioning. And we would get feedback from the customer. And they would just like the early days, they would say, you know what, would it be great if you had this feature or that feature? What if you could buy a box of swag to distribute it? Or what if you got a note card to it? And they would give us different ideas or, and this actually led to it. One of our customers said, hey, we have a big department. What if you could have a marketing closet and a sales closet in the London office and New York office? You could break it down by department or by location and have different credit cards for each different department and have permission settings. So only the marketing team should get access to the marketing clause and the sales team gets access to the sales clause, like really broken down. And all of these ideas from the customers and what they really needed went into our development. So once we knew we had our first customer signed up, we said to them, if we built the first version in the next three months, would you be a customer of ours? And we figured out how big that customer was and we realized that. Three, three months of development would be covered with literally with the first order of this customer. So it would be covered and then we would build out from there. And so now we have, I think, over 500 companies using our distribution platform. And these companies are you know, global Facebooks, like big companies who are using this. So we're hoping that we can keep learning from our customers as much as possible. And what we always say to our customers, even on demos now, when they're saying, hey, this platform is really great, we always say, this is just the beginning. We want to learn from you. We want you to treat us not as like, we're your supplier or vendor, just a website. We have to be partners in this, right? We have to learn from each other and you have to tell us what you want and we will work on, with you to make it perfect, exactly what you're wanting. So it might not be 100% from right now, but in six months from now, it's going to be pretty close to perfect for you. Just checking in again, is my mic sounding all right? I'm currently recording this on a Toner Q9 mic, which is super easy to set up as long as you can figure out which side of the USB plug should be facing up. You can't see me, but this Q9 mic comes with the mic, obviously, and you get this cool swivel arm that attaches to your desk and lets you swivel the thing around, look like a pro. Uh, You get the pop filter, the mic cover, basically everything that you need and more to look and sound like a pro whenever you are recording. Basically, if you're creating content online, whether it's YouTube or a podcast or an online course, the Toner Q9, it's honestly the move. Comes with the perfect balance of quality and affordability, which is honestly what we love here on Young Smart Money. Also, the fine folks at Toner have agreed to hook up all Young Smart Money listeners with 20% off the Q9 kit, which is pretty sweet. 
when you use the code SMARTMONEY20 at checkout. That's smart money, all one word, and the number two and the number zero at checkout on Amazon or their website, which you can find links for down below wherever you are listening to this episode. Now, let's hop back to the show. Earlier, you mentioned that you have roughly like 15 employees. Are most of those developers or, or, or what? where does the kind of development, like where does the development uh, manpower come from? Are you guys, is that all in-house? Do you guys do like hire freelancers for that or what? Yes, sure. So we have about, I think at this point, we have 17 full-time um, hires. We're hiring two more people next week. We have 17, right? So we'll have up to 19 next week. And we have a team of 11 developers in Ukraine. So we've never had a full-on in-house tech team, but they are as if they're our own in-house because they are only working on swag.com. They're also investors in our business. I wanted, because you know when you have different people from out of the country and you don't get as much face-to-face, I wanted them to feel like a really big connection to us. So the company that we're using is actually an investor in our business. And they've been with us literally from the very beginning. So almost five full years, they've been working on it. We started with one developer. We then went up to two. We had three developers for two years. Now we're up to 11. So we're constantly pushing forward and adding more and more tech team. You know, at this point, especially this pandemic, it kind of refocuses you and it kind of you know, gets you to think there's a lot of things outside the world that you can't really control, right? There's no control over certain things, but there's the, the one thing that you can control as a business is how much you grow and how you push yourself forward and what you build. Like you have full control over what you build. No one can stop you from what you're building. So during this pandemic, our feeling was let's double down on all these ideas that we have, ideas that we've had in the backlog that we know people want because they've been asking for it. Let's just really build it at this point. So we're trying to scale up now in terms of tech, not scale up in terms of ads, not dumping more money into advertising. We actually went down, we went from about 70,000 um, in Google ads before the pandemic a month to about 15,000 in our Google ads per month. And our sales are more than they used to be. So it's really teaching us that it's really building the right features is also a really good marketing strategy. If you have the feature that people want, they're going to use you and they're going to be hooked into you. So we're, we're, we're trying to shift our focus 100% towards let's develop the best platform that's available and really be above and beyond everyone else who's doing swag. Mm. So, so uh, most of our listeners are on the younger side here. And, and I think what you just said is, is really important, especially for younger people to, to fully comprehend just the importance of focusing on the product and the platform itself, rather than just like how loud you can shout about it. Because I, I think a lot of people, uh, especially in my age group, just get caught up in this idea of like, marketing is everything. And I just need to go out there and the louder I shout, like I'll just get people to come. But I think what you said there is, is really, really important to just, you, you have to build the things that people want or else somebody else is going to do it and, and they're going to have no reason to do business with you. Yep. There's, there's definitely a balance. I think, I think both are actually very important. Not, not, you shouldn't be shouting about what you do, but I do think from the very beginning, you should always put yourself out even before you have a platform to sell. So I'm thinking, and this is what we did in the very beginning, you should put yourself out and be willing to learn. That's really the most important thing. Put yourself out, try to offer a service, give a great experience, lower your costs if you have to. The main goal in the beginning is just to learn as much as you can so you build the right platform ultimately. And now we're at the phase where it's, it's, a, it's a lot about the platform, building the right features. We have a really good funnel of getting leads in. We're getting you know, over 30 leads a day at this point. And it's just about trying to create the platform that is going to close those leads and build out the team that could process those orders and keep closing them. So... Um, the business is not just like one answer for everything. Not just do this or do that. It shifts in different times. So it might start off one way, which is it might be the most important just to put yourself out there, right? The first step is the hardest. You know, allow yourself to be okay with the fear of failure, right? That's the first step. Once you put yourself out, 
and you'll start to learn, then your focus might shift completely. It might go from, okay, now that we have our early customers, now let's build a platform that's going to give a great experience so we can scale that customer experience. And so I do think over time, over the business, and I'm sure in a year from now, our focus will shift again to be something completely different that we might not even be thinking about right now. So it's always going to be a constant kind of game of focusing on the right things at the right time. How do you know when to make one of those focus shifts and how do you, uh, because a lot of young people I, I see are, are always bouncing between different things and they're shifting around so quick that you can't even tell what they're, what they're thinking about. So how do you figure out when you're, you're getting like a signal to, to actually shift and when it's just noise and, and when it should be ignored? Yeah, it, that's, it's very hard. I mean, I think it's, 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 um, every case is different. I'll give you an example of when we made a shift and this happened over the last three months. So it's very ripe in our mind. Uh, when this pandemic hit, all of our investors were, were nervous. Everyone was nervous. My family was nervous. I was nervous. Just to put things in perspective, the first week of March, we did 200,000 in sales. For the first week of March. The second week of March, we did 19,000 in sales. Because that was really when the pandemic hit and everyone is going home and everyone's terrified. And CNN is just constant, constant news of the end of the world. So we had to make a shift. I mean, we had a whole team. We have employees. You know, a lot of people we care about, we want, you know, to be more family. You know, when you build a team, you're, you're building a family. So there's a lot of things you have to do and make the shift. What we decided to do very early on was we've never sold, you know, custom masks. You know, it's not, it's not a product that you would think to sell before this pandemic. No one's buying it to be fun. People buy t-shirts and water bottles and notebooks. No one's buying a custom mask. But we had to do that because we realized a lot of people are looking for masks. Everyone's scared. So we offered on our site not even just custom masks with your logo, but even blank masks, like allow people to buy blank masks. And a lot of people were looking for masks to buy and we had resources because we were connected to all these different suppliers. So we started selling blank masks. Like we would never do that. Our entire site is fully custom products. And we ended up becoming on the first page of Google for custom branded masks. And we got a lot of leads and it wasn't, it didn't replace the sales that we lost, but it definitely held us over. It allowed us to not have to make significant cuts to the team. And then we started to realize, well, if no one's going home to the office, they're really going to need a distribution platform. At the time, our distribution platform was really set up for engaging with not employees. We never really thought of the work from home environment. We mostly thought of the distribution platform for engaging with leads and your best customers and that aspect. And we realized that because people are shifting to this work from home, we have to shift our messaging. So we had the platform, but how do we shift the messaging to tell the story? So we did a lot of ads about you know, work from home kits and, you know, engage with remote employees to keep the company culture thriving, even when no one's in the office and that kind of brand messaging, how we positioned it. And we redid our homepage to really highlight the fact of what you can use our distribution platform for, to engage with people at virtual events. You know, we never thought of virtual, like all these different things have shifted and we realized we need to make this shift. And since we made this shift, our sales, you know, we're going to break 900,000 this month of sales, which is almost double what we did the same time last year. So it's really becoming a real shift that we had to take because we looked at the kind of the world and the environment who our customers are. A lot of times you learn from your customers of what they really need and you have to kind of shift your focus, even if you never really thought about doing it that way. So, so given that you've built this thing to the place where it's at, I mean, speaking to an audience of young people, what do you wish you would have known coming out of college at 21, 22, 23 years old um, about business, about life in general? Like what, what do you wish you could go back and whisper into your ear? Yeah, I would have started earlier. No, honestly, I started, I was a filmmaker in college, um, not because I wanted to be a filmmaker. I actually wanted to be a marketing person. But when I got to college, it was kind of interesting. I looked at the, I wanted to be like a marketing guy and I loved ads and I was so you know interested in the commercials and all those different things. And I looked at the marketing curriculum and I looked at, I went to Boston University, college of communication. And I looked at the film and there were 
requirements were very, very similar, except for film taught me how to make videos. And I thought at that point, this is like right when YouTube, I'm 35, YouTube is starting. I felt like this would be a good thing to learn. So I was probably the only person in my film program that didn't want to be a filmmaker. And I got out of school and I just, I wanted to start something at that point just to learn. Like it was all about learning to me because I didn't really know how to build a business. And I started a t-shirt company right out of college. That was the, that was the first thing I thought of because I thought I will learn how to manufacture products. I'll learn how to build a website. I'll learn how to do PR. I'll learn manufacturing. I'll learn all these different aspects of business and I'll kind of learn what I'm good at and what I enjoy doing. Um, and I wish I started in college. You know, I waited to after college because I thought that's what the, you know, the normal, you do college and then you do business. And I think there's no kind of barrier to entry at this point. Like anyone should be starting at this point. And you should not be afraid of failure. Like really, I mean, there's a famous quote, I forgot who said it, that you know, fear killed more dreams than failure ever could, right? It's just about getting yourself out there and learning and being okay if your initial plan is not the right plan, right? Because it's never the right plan. You're gonna put yourself out there and you're gonna learn what people want and then you're gonna shift and you're gonna adjust and there's no kind of straight line to success. There's a lot of up and downs and backs and failures and successes. And it's a lot of different things that add up to be a success. So I would just say, just go for it, really. Absolutely. So can you fill us in a little bit on that learning process for you? I know, I know there were a lot of, between the t-shirt printing company to swag, there were um, a couple different things that happened in there. So can you kind of just walk us through that timeline and maybe some of the bigger lessons that you picked up throughout those periods? Yeah, sure. So initially after college, I started that high-end t-shirt apparel company. We were selling $200 t-shirts, which is crazy, but people were buying it. At that time, it was 2007. It was really when the recession hit. So I launched at the, like at the worst time to launch a high-end t-shirt company. But what happened was, I started a marketing plan and I wrote to Mark Cuban. It was on his blog. I wrote to Mark Cuban. I said, Mark, I started this business. All the stores that we were selling to $200 t-shirts went out of business and I'm trying to save my business. So what we did was we tied the prices of our shirts to the price of the Dow, the stock market. So for every hundred points the Dow dropped, we would give discounts off of the t-shirt prices. And Mark Cuban liked the idea and it was a little gimmicky, but he liked it and he wrote about it in his blog called Blog Maverick. And it got picked up by a lot of other people. And Ad Age, the advertising magazine, wrote about us, which ultimately got me in touch with the CEO of MV Sport. So then I worked for MV Sport and I did that t-shirt you know, contest thing that we discussed earlier called Vote for Art for three years. I learned a lot about promotional products. So really, that all led me to promotional products. And then after that, my brother was starting a company where it was very early days. I know now there's TikTok and there's Instagram. This is before that. It was at the onset kind of of YouTube, where all these YouTube stars were doing millions of video of views and they were making no money for it. So my brother had this idea and I joined him as one of his early employees. Um, and we ultimately ended working together where basically we would partner up with these YouTube stars and we would get like State Farm and Colgate and Verizon to do product placement in these YouTube stars videos. It was like the very early days. Now, obviously you look at Kendall Jenner's videos and TikToks and everyone's doing sponsored posts. That didn't exist. It didn't exist when my brother started. So we were doing 200,000, $300,000 deals for State Farm and putting it into YouTube stars videos. Then what we realized is that why are, we, why are we limiting it just to YouTube? What if we did this with real celebrities? And Twitter was just beginning. So there was a lot of celebrities who, had, who now have you know, 60 million followers who at the time had 5,000 followers. So we reached out to a lot of these celebrities. And I partnered up with this guy, Jesse Itzler. And Jesse is a you know, tremendous success. He started Zico Coconut Water. He started Marquee Jet that sold to Warren Buffett's company. He's one of the owners of the Atlanta Hawks. Me, my brother, and Jesse started a business together where we partnered up with major celebrities um, and we owned pretty much their social media feeds where they could not do deals without us. So we kind of represented a lot of these celebrities. And ultimately, that company got bought by a bigger public company um, about eight months after we launched it. 
And then eight months after we launched it, then we started another business that ultimately ended up failing called Vouch. Well, basically it was, you know, vouching for your favorite things. Think of like all the social media sites out there. Like Twitter took the Facebook posts, right? And um, TikTok took like the insert, like the, every single person takes a bit and piece of another company and just does a dedicated focus stream on that thing. Um, so what we did was we tried to take the like button. We thought, which we were wrong, we didn't build the right platform for it. But our idea was, what if you could own what people like? So you would go out and you say, these are my top 50 favorite movies and favorite dishes and favorite restaurants and this and that. And people could follow you and get to learn what you really like, what you genuinely like. Kind of like democratizing Oprah's favorite things for everybody. And we ended up launching it. We had over 200,000 users. We had a lot of big celebrities using it but it ultimately didn't catch on the way it needed to be. And after we did it for three years, my idea was, I don't wanna just build a platform to get users and ultimately transition users to revenue. I wanna start from a business from scratch, take what I really love. I love the promotional product industry from the beginning. I now over the eight years, I've learned a lot about you know, product design and user experience. Take what I've learned and really build a platform that can make money from day one. And that's what we've been doing, really trying to go after and do transactional orders and really try to scale this thing into the biggest company in our industry. Sure. So, so throughout a lot of those, I noticed a common thread is that uh, you, you've been starting things with other people, um, mm -hmm. or kind of like coming together with um, with with partners or, or JVs or whatnot. So, um, can you can you talk to the listeners a bit about that and and when they're thinking about the decision of like should I do this on my own? Should I partner with someone? Should I go into business with my brother? Like, what are what have your experiences been like on that front? Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it's always been a beneficial thing to work with somebody. Um, you know, everyone doesn't have all the answers, even if you might think you do. I know for myself, I'm not the best at everything. I'm good at certain things. I'm good at design and user experience and branding. Um, but in terms of like the back of the house things, you know, dealing with all the numbers and the financials and the dealing with the nitty gritty of all these different things, that's not my strong suit. And I think it is important to find partners that, you know, a lot of times, and I'll tell you this, and I see this all the time with friends of mine, people partner up together and they're very similar. You partner up with a friend of yours, right? Usually people partner up with friends. The problem with that is that you guys are very similar, typically. I mean, most friend circles are very similar. They have similar interests. They have similar, you know, strengths and weaknesses. And that doesn't really do anyone good because then you're going to start, you know, batting heads, um, you know, of, of things that maybe one of you should be better at. So with me and my co-founder right now, I, I like to think of myself as the front of the house, like everything in terms of the brand, the user experience, the design, um, the products itself that we're selling. And my co-founder, Josh, deals with everything in the back end, dealing with the vendor relationships, negotiating prices, you know, making sure we have the margins set up properly, paying all the tax, like all that kind of stuff. And I think it allows us to really focus on our strengths. Um, so I think that really will allow your business to, to frankly grow a lot faster and not have as many issues. Completely, completely agree. Um, I've definitely done things by myself, done things with other people. And yeah, when you when you do partner up with someone who is very similar to you, there's there's a lot of instances of butting heads that um you might not you might not think about that from the beginning, but you definitely you definitely will get to that point. <laughs> exactly. hundred percent. Cool. Well, well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Jeremy. I've got a couple more questions that I like to to wrap the show up with. You ready for those? Yeah, sounds great. Cool. So in terms of um, sources of, of information or knowledge, um, what, are, what are some places that you like to go to to keep up to date with, um, with the world and your industry and, and all that good stuff? Yeah. So for the industry, there's a lot of kind of traditional promo supplier networks. Um, I, I read them a little bit, but I never want to get too in it because obviously I think when you, when you learn too, too much about what your competitors are doing, it kind of reshapes your focus and you start to not think creatively and outside the box. 
So in general, when we started our business, it was all about learning what our customers wanted, not what other people did to, to, to handle our customers. That makes sense. Like we wanted to make sure we had a fresh perspective. So what we built was very different than everyone else. Um, in terms of news, I'm constantly reading Twitter. I, I mean, for me, it's following the right people on Twitter or hopefully the right people and getting a mixture of information, whether it's news, whether it's startup verse, whether it's VC, angel investors, branding people. I just like to have a good kind of, um, you know, I think that's the easiest way to capture information really quickly. And, and that as you're starting a business, as you're running a business, there's, there's, not enough time to, to get as much information as possible. So you want to kind of maximize how much information you're able to get in the shortest amount of time. Totally agree. Uh, next thing I'm curious about is what is something that you're genuinely excited about right now? This could be related to your business, your industry, or something completely unrelated. Yeah, I mean, for me, I am so excited about our distribution platform, frankly. I mean, I think the industry has been the same. I mean, our, our industry has been existing since George Washington had presidential pins. It's been around <laughs> forever, and it hasn't really shifted. Um, very much over the last few years. I mean, it's been updated here and there. I really believe the future of our industry is distribution platform. Even when the world gets back on track, and God willing it does, people will still be working more remote than ever. They might not be traveling across the country for that trade show or that meeting. People are going to be more separate. And I think swag is one of these unifiers. It really brings people together. So, you know, like when you're walking down the street and you see somebody wearing your favorite football t-shirt, you feel an instant connection to that person, right? You never would have known anything about them. You'll know who they are. But you look at them, you see their T-shirt, the Jets, the Giants, and you feel that kind of connection. And I think it brings people together, not just on your favorite teams, but companies. Like really company culture is alive and well when people are feeling more connected. So I think our distribution platform allows companies to frankly do that, especially in this super uncertain period where everyone doesn't know, you know what's going to happen next month or next year even. So um, it's just, it's... I'm really excited about that. And then ultimately, our main goal for this distribution platform is to automate distribution. We're building our Swag API right now, our Zapier plugins, our Shopify plugins. What would be amazing is if, imagine somebody buys something on Shopify and they spend over $1,000, it would automatically speak to our system and we'll ship a piece of Swag automatically, like hands-free. It doesn't require somebody to log in, upload a CSV file or ship out. It's ultimately, everything is going to be completely hands-free and automated. They set it up, you set it and forget it, and you, you watch the return on investment come in. So that's ultimately where we're going. But our feeling is we need to make sure our distribution platform is amazing. You have to build the house first before you automate everything. So we're at that point. We're about 90% where we want to be. And in the next few months, we're going to start building out those, those um, you know, the automation kind of links. That is exciting stuff indeed. Uh, what habits do you have that have served you particularly well? These can be either business habits, life habits, or just um, any habits you got. Um, yeah, I mean, I walk every day. I think it allows me to clear my head. Once I hit the office, it becomes work zone and you can't really take time for yourself. You're constantly thinking about the business, business. And I think it's important for everyone, whether you're an entrepreneur or just, you know, have a regular job, um, is to take time for yourself. So every morning I walk about six miles, listen to music, clear my head, work through some issues. Don't even think about business ideally. Um, and just when you get to the office, you feel like you've accomplished something. You've already set yourself up for a positive day, you're feeling good about what's going on. Um, so I think it's really important. Hmm. Awesome. One, one last thing that I'm curious about is uh, what's something you do that doesn't scale? So I, I know with swag.com, you're talking about automating things and, and making things very scalable and very automated, but what's, what's something you still do that, that isn't, isn't scalable? It's a good question. I think a lot of things, I mean, even before we build anything, every single thing we do is unscalable. Like literally everything we do, like we launch, landing pages constantly trying to learn as much as possible. I have meetings probably three to five a day with customers. They're not scalable. You know, customer conversation is not scalable, but you learn a lot from it. 
So like whether it's a customer that had a bad experience with us that I want to make right, or whether it's a customer that had an amazing experience, I want to learn, you know, how I can keep that experience at the highest level possible. I think me, for, for my sake, I know that I need to be completely connected to the customers at all times. We have to learn what they want, what products they're looking for, how they want the experience so that ultimately we can make things scalable. But oftentimes you do these unscalable things for years before you even want to scale it. You know, it, that's often happens. And you, you have an idea and you say, oh, this would be amazing if we scaled this and we built this and we built that. But first, take a step back and say, well, let's do all those features as manual as possible. Let's just really let it be so painful for us that we need to build it. Like if it's not painful enough for us, if we're not dreading doing that activity every day, then it's not, then we don't need to build it. We just don't need to automate it. So there's certain things that customers, conversations, which I love to do and I love to learn. And there's certain things that I frankly, you know, maybe don't love to learn. Maybe it's a accounting practice that is a lot of manual work that we could obviously build something that would solve it. Um, but you know, it's important to learn what the right thing to build is. So we have to do it manually until we know exactly what the right platform should be. Absolutely. Well, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Where can our listeners go if they want to find out more about you, find out more about swag.com? Uh, what are the best places for them to head over to? Yeah, feel free to reach out to swag.com. You can send me an email, jeremy at swag.com with any questions. Um, I'll try to respond if I can, um, and I hope to. But yeah, I would say, you know, your audience is young entrepreneurs or you know, I think the, the main thing is just to put yourself out there. I think if you're starting a business, you want to start a business, you don't know if it's the right business. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because what you launch is not ultimately what will end up being the success. Most likely or not, you'll shift, you'll learn, put yourself out there. Even if it's not 100% right, you'll learn what the right thing to build is. So that's what I would say. Words of wisdom indeed. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. I'm very appreciative of it. And uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks so much. Great to connect. All the best. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jeremy. I know he brought a ton of value and I'm very excited that we got to chat with him. Uh, if you guys enjoy content like this, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please go down below, click on that subscribe button, knock the little bell as well so that you get notified anytime a new uh, podcast episodes like this or personal finance content gets released out there. Or if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, please do subscribe and review there as well. That's pretty much all I've got for you. As always, if you have any ideas for future guests you'd like to see, future topics you'd like covered, just shoot those over to me. However you would like, I'm on pretty much all social media channels. Instagram is probably the best one to find me though. That is Apple Crider Official. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much it for the day. So thanks again for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And I will see you in the next one.